Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Welcome to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personalities shaping the stories. Special Edition is a production of Intercom Communications. Thanks for joining us on Special Edition. I'm Paula Dagnan. Today, we're going to get medical on part of our program. We'll be hearing from Dawn Webster. She has some information on staying safe on snow and ice, and it's not over yet. Also, this past Thursday was HPV Day, and Dr. Perry Godsey is a practicing board-certified OBGYN. She's going to tell you all you need to know about human papillomavirus. March is Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month, and we'll be hearing from Dr. Joyanne Crozer. She is a gastroenterologist in Glen Mills, Pennsylvania, about colorectal cancer screenings. We start off special edition by introducing you to Sister Ann Walsh, Assistant Director, Friends of the Poor, and Megan Loftus, President and CEO, Friends of the Poor. They have their annual Easter giveaway coming up, food and Easter baskets, and we'll have all the details. And happening right now, the stay-at-home ball. It's to help raise funds for all the work they do. We want to say a big welcome to Sister Ann Walsh and also to Megan Loftus. And we are going to be talking about what Friends of the Poor have coming up. And there are many events, right, Megan? It's not just we're looking forward to Easter, but what else do you have? We are also doing our 35th anniversary celebration. So it has been 35 years since the founding of Friends of the Poor, and we're celebrating with a stay-at-home ball um, to establish an endowment fund in honor of Sister Ann Walsh and her over uh, 12 years of dedication to Friends of the Poor. Well, that was the perfect introduction. Sister Ann, welcome. Thank you very much. We've, I don't think we've ever had you on Special Edition before, so we're very pleased to have you here with us. Tell us a little bit about your background. And as Megan just mentioned, you've been with Friends of the Poor for 12 years. What were you doing before you got into all this fun? Well, as an IHM sister, we have many lives. So starting in education and healthcare, and finally settling in with my uh Master's in social work and uh, coming to Friends of the Poor 12 years ago. So it's been it's been an adventure. And now that you're involved with Friends of the Poor, what are you seeing? You know, it's been around now for how many years, Megan? 35. 35 years. And now Sister Ann Walsh is at the helm. What are you seeing for the coming future? 
Well, I think Sister Adrienne's dream keeps evolving, and we keep uh, enfleshing it every day. It, particularly during this past year, the need has just mushroomed. But even before that, we've answered the need in so many ways with programs around food and clothing and household items and a men's clothing program, STEM camps for children, after school programs, summer lunches, wherever the need is, I feel like we're there to respond. And it's it's been a journey. Yes. And I, I wonder what Sister Adrian would think, having gone through something like this pandemic, I'm sure that uh, she would have she would have taken the pandemic by the horns and just told it to go away. <laughs> I know, <laughs> I know well, that's Adrian. one of her choices. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Now, mm-hmm. Megan, let's talk about we did Thanksgiving. We got through that. It was great. You had a wonderful turnout. You had a great turnout for Christmas. And now you're looking forward to Easter. What's going to happen then? So we will hold our Easter food giveaway on March 31st at Scranton High School. Uh, We're thinking, you know, very similar to Christmas and that it'll be an increase from our previous years. Um, You know, pre-pandemic, we would typically serve about 1,500 families, and now we've been holding steady at 2,000 to 2,500. So we are going to serve probably 2,500 people, uh, families, and we're hoping to do an Easter basket for children as well. In the past, we've done you know, one Easter basket per child under the age of 12. That's a little bit harder right now with the increase in numbers and the drive-through format we're having to do with COVID. Um, So we are still asking people for donations of gender-neutral Easter baskets that we can, you know, give out hopefully at least one per family, if not one per child. And give us your location. How can someone, we'll mention this a few times, how could someone get in touch with you for donations and the like? So we, um, the giveaway for Easter will be on March 31st. And if you want to volunteer, donate an Easter basket, um, you can give us a call at our office. It's 570-340-6086. Or you can always find us on Facebook and send us a message. Now, I know when we talked about Christmas and Thanksgiving, volunteers were somewhat of a commodity because of the way that you're handling this. Is it going to be the same with the uh, Easter distribution? We do always need volunteers for the events, but we just ask that, you know, because of the pandemic, people give us a call ahead of time and let us know that they're interested. That way we can make sure that we have enough people, but we're not overloaded and we can maintain some social distancing. And again, just run it past us one more time. Where is this going to happen and when? It'll be March 31st at Scranton High School from 10 to 5, and the um, uh, event uh, for people to donate to volunteer, we just ask that they call us ahead of time at 570-340-6086. Anything else that you have going on around uh, Easter time? Is family to family involved in this as well? It is. It is our family to family uh, program that's doing the Easter giveaway. So family to family is part of Friends of the Poor. Um, that's the name of the programming that we that we call all of our, you know, big community wide food giveaways. OK, so people are familiar with all that so that whether they hear it under one name or another name, they know exactly what's going on. And I yeah, like, just I'd, know it's us. It, exactly. Just know it's you. Now, I'd like to talk about the stay at home ball and. I don't know. Do I ask Sister Ann Walsh to talk about it since it's in honor of her? Oh, well, you know how much she loves to to be the center of attention. So I would, (laughs) I have to kind of force her to talk about it. But um, 
we we are honoring Sister Anne, um, and we, I'd love if she could, you know, talk to us about why the importance of the stay-at-home ball and why we need the endowment so much. Sister Anne, I a human dynamo, superhero, <laughs> energizer, bunny. Wow, <laughs> you're up there with the heavy hitters. <laughs> it keeps me laughing. That's what I have to say. Yeah. So the stay-at-home ball will support all of what we do at Friends of the Poor. And as I see it growing and I see myself aging, I say, how is this going to continue? So it's with the support of the community. We got this far and we're going to keep going ahead in being able to meet the needs of the community. So uh, this endowment fund really is not about me. It's very humbling and honoring, but it's about the uh, continuance of all of the ministry of Friends of the Poor. And that's why, you know, um, we're asking the community to support us uh, to be able to have the outreach that we we have now and into the future. And you've done this, not you, but Friends of the Poor have done this in the past, correct? Well, we were pioneers when there were so many places to go and so many things to do for so many agencies. We started a stay-at-home ball where you could just relax and not have to go anywhere, but you could support us. So um, it was five years ago for our 30th anniversary, and it was so well-received that we said we're going to continue it. So here we are five years later. When it's kind of the standard practice now, we never thought it would be this. But here we are, adjusting to the current situation. Great to be a trendsetter before before <laughs> you even knew that it was going to be. And and what came out of of the one back in 2016? Well, we we raised enough funds to be able to purchase a new pickup truck, which is absolutely what we needed at the time, and also helped us to sustain all of the programs that we had our uh, 10 pantry sites, our men's clothing program, our furniture bank, things like that, that really um, needed all of our help to continue and expand to meet the needs. You know, we hear a lot about the fact that there are food pantries throughout Lackawanna County and you support those food pantries as well. Have Obviously, you've seen an increase in the need. So what is your goal for this particular stay-at-home ball? I'll give that our to goal. Megan. So our goal is $350,000 um, for our 35th anniversary. And really that's, you know, just a, a number that we chose because we just have seen the community be so generous to us throughout the pandemic and, and helping us purchase food for our drive through giveaways and meet the need as, you know, we have seen threefold the time, the number of families that we have in need yeah, pre-pandemic. So um, we understand that it is a lofty goal, but um, we're really hoping the community comes together and supports us because the truth is that our agency is, is needed now and it's going to be needed well into the future because as much as we would love for poverty to be eradicated, it, it's not you know realistically going to happen in the next few years or even decades. Um, and unfortunately, especially in the Scranton area, we have a, a higher poverty rate than um, this than the state and the country as a whole. So we just want to make sure that we're here to meet the need so long as we are needed and we won't always have the sisters to fill those roles. And we'll, we'll have to um, have more and more lay people like myself coming in to fill those roles. Uh, so that's really why we, we chose 350,000 just for the, the 35th anniversary, but you know, we will keep fundraising and we will keep adding to the endowment to make sure that we're here whenever anybody needs us. And how can someone get involved in that? 
So you can go to our website, which is friendsofthepoorscranton.com, and you can make a donation right on the page there. Um, or you can give us a call uh, at 570-340-6086, and we'd be happy to send any of the information out to you. Um, and then the very last way you can do is we've actually set up a text to give option. So, you know, if you know that you want to support and you are, and you don't want to have to, you know, go through the website or any of some of the more complicated things, you can just text the word Walsh to 570-525-5956. So that's just a text to donate number. It's not a phone number to call, but if you just text Walsh, um, so not our sister Anne, to 570-525-5956. Five nine five six, and you can donate through there. See, and Sister Ann, you're right in there with the technology as well. <laughs> Want to be left behind? No, we can't be left behind, and that's why you're out there, and all of the volunteers and everybody involved with Friends of the Poor and Family to Family, and and all of the other programs are out there, and. Of course, you know, we've talked and Megan and I have talked about this in the past, how the need increases. And when you when you see all of the things that you have already added to um, from the need a ride program to uh, summer lunch program and how, how I don't even know where else. What else can you do? Do you have other <laughs> ideas? Well, Megan always says to me, whenever my answer to everything is yes, <laughs> we'll, we, we can do it. <laughs> and what, I, what really um, delights me is our staff and volunteers are eager to just uh, take the risk. And if there's something that needs to be done, then we'll do it. We're doing utility assistance programs now and keep adding to that, you know, new programs around that. Uh, to wrap around uh, assistance so that people who are, you know, never had to struggle before during the pandemic, they're choosing whether to pay rent or pay their water bill or pay the electric bill. It's really, uh, I, I can see all kinds of new things having to come up to, to come into being and really how everybody is just able to handle all of this and what the, what the new next normal is going to be because uh, we're never going to go back to what it was. So whatever will evolve, we'll be there with it. See, I think that's one of the things that a lot of people don't realize about Friends of the Poor is that it is more than food donations and the food giveaways that you're doing. You mentioned the fact of the um, utilities. Now, how would someone get involved if they needed help with that? Well, we have a um, email address that we're asking people to use, uh, or they can call us at Jackson Terrace. So the number, phone number would be 570-348-4428. And the email address is water at, and the letters, there's a group of letters now that are going to come, represents the first letter of every word of Friends of the Poor. So it's F O T P dash three more letters ihm.org so it's water at f-o-t-p dash ihm.org someone is in need what are you looking at there are you you do they get are they able to get funds are are you able to go to bat for them with the utilities how does that work for anyone who has a pennsylvania american water bill 
we can help them with grant assistance in different from different funding sources. So we try to put funding together that will help them get back on track so that there will be a, a reasonable amount that they can realistically be able to pay going forward. And uh, we do that with several funding sources so that we can help them. See, now that's something that I don't know if a lot of people know exists because they're just so used to the other things that Friends of the Poor are involved in. And I also see that you've added a men's clothing program and furnished by Friends. Now, where is that happening? Well, our men's clothing program is like the male version of Dress for Success for Women. Awesome. And and we call it Clothes Line for Men. It is located in two buildings uh, just adjacent to the campus of the University of Scranton on Linden Street. And right now, one of the, uh, the social justice outreach uh, department at the university is helping us to be able to staff that and get the clothing out to the men who need it. So the staff and students are really doing a great job there. That's great. During the pandemic, we have to take orders and fill them. But when life returns, we have uh, anybody who needs clothing will come in with the caseworker and they can uh, get work clothes, dress clothes, whatever, whatever they need. We have broad guidelines. Uh, and anybody, any man uh, can come and access our services there. And how does the furniture aspect work then? Well, we receive donations of gently used furniture and uh, we have a warehouse. We rent 9,000 square feet uh, for our, our furniture and and also uh, furnished by friends right next to it is a free home goods store. So for people who are starting out or starting over and need the basics, we usually have living room, dining room, kitchen, bedroom furniture, all, all of the basics. And then they can go right next door and get whatever they need to complement it in household goods. But with the pandemic, we have to take an order for the household goods. We fill it and, and they pick it up. And if someone is interested in that respect, again, how do they get in touch with you? They can call us at our Jackson Terrace office which is 570-348-4428 or 570-348-4429. And I'm sure that anybody who's hearing this is now saying, oh, I wonder if they need donations. Are they still kind of on the back burner because of COVID? We take it actually um, day by day, depending on how much space we have and who we have as volunteers to help receive it and sort what we have. So we're, we're really taking it, uh, as I said, uh, this, you know, what we're doing this week might not be what we did last week or what we will do next week. So it's better to call and we let everybody know what phase we're in then. See, now, Megan, there's more that I didn't know about Friends of the Poor. And we're full of surprises. You are, and I'm I'm really the sister Anne. I think you're absolutely right. She is the energizer bunny. <laughs> she is. I don't think she sleeps. <laughs> she just comes up with all kinds of great ideas. Well, now before I let the two of you go, Megan, if you can just give us one more time the um information as far as Easter and the Easter distribution is concerned. The Easter distribution will be March 31st at Scranton High School from uh, 10 to 5. 
please be on the lookout on our Facebook page for any updates to location or time. You know, if there's any weather issues, um, unfortunately in NEPA, we, you know, we can have snow any day still through March. So um, that's our tentative schedule, but we will be updating uh, on our Facebook page if we have to change it for any reason. And Sister Anne, could you leave with our listeners today what got you involved and what you hope to see continue with the Friends of the Poor Mission? What really got me involved was our congregation. We're a sponsored ministry. Friends of the Poor is a sponsored ministry of our IHM sisters. And our mission at Friends flows from our IHM mission. And the, the, what got me involved is the opportunity to be a part of this great mission, to ease the burden of living in poverty for families in this area who are struggling in whatever way we can. And I, you know, I hope and I pray that we can continue to be uh, a source of uh, referral and uh, for anyone who is in need in our area. And uh, we stand on the shoulders of giants, uh, the sisters who have gone before us. And I know that we'll have more shoulders uh, taking over after us to be able to, to continue the sacred ministry. Our staff and volunteers and community support have made us who and what we are today. And I firmly believe that that is what will carry us into the future. And the 2021 Stay at Home Ball is underway right now, ladies? It is. Yep, it's now and through April 8th. Okay, so we want to get your tickets and get everybody involved. Thank you. Thank Thank you. you very much. Once again, the Food and Easter Basket giveaway will be coming up on March 31st, and the stay-at-home ball continues through April 8th. Also, a reminder that if you would like more information on any of the programs that you heard about today, you can always contact Friends of the Poor and check out their Facebook page. Now, don't go away. When we come back, we're going to find out about HPV and colorectal cancer. Next on Special Edition. Welcome back to Special Edition. This past Thursday was HPV Awareness Day. HPV stands for Human Papillomavirus. It's something that you wouldn't be able to detect on your own much like colon cancer, which we'll also be talking about next. Dr. Perry Godsey is a practicing board-certified obstetrician-gynecologist. She received a medical degree from Baylor College of Medicine, completed her residency at George Washington University, and is now based in Los Angeles. She's trying to get the word out about HPV. Dr. Godsey, let's start off by having you just give our listeners a brief overview of what the human papillomavirus actually is. Human papillomavirus, otherwise known as HPV, is one of the most common sexually transmitted infections. And about 85% of people will become infected with HPV at some point in their lifetime. It's important to know that the majority of people that obtain HPV will clear the virus without any problem. But unfortunately, some do not. And for those that do not clear it, it can lead to certain types of HPV-related cancers. Is this just men, women, both? So it's both. So, you know, it doesn't matter your age, your gender, or your sexual orientation. You are at risk for HPV. 
if you are sexually active at some point in your lifetime. Would you know that you had it? That's a really great question. And most of the time, no, you do not know if you have it because HPV typically doesn't show any signs or symptoms. This is why it's really important to be aware about it, um, to be educated about it, and to talk to your doctor about if there are any appropriate HPV screens out there for you. Especially for men, it must be even more difficult because women tend to go to their OBGYN and get things checked out at least once a year. And would that be something that would be able to be seen in the office? In terms of women that you're speaking of, the the screening I think you're referring to is the pap smear. And what the pap smear does is it takes a sample of the cells of your cervix and looks for any abnormalities that may later lead to cancer. Your doctor can also separately or at the same time screen your cervix for HPV by taking cells and sending it to the lab. Unfortunately, right now, there's no routine screening for men regarding HPV. But I still encourage them to talk to their doctor about what may be available. As you know, things are always changing and developing. If it's something that can be transmitted, is it possible that it, it there's more going from male to female than female to male? That's a good question. Not necessarily. So anybody who is infected with HPV can transmit it to another person. But you wouldn't know that just on a regular daily basis of interaction. Correct. So then what happens if it happens to you and you allow it because you don't know any different, you allow it to go on? What what kind of a course can it take? This is what is, you know, so important about talking about it because, you know, if you were to be infected in HPV and were unaware, it could later down the road lead to HPV related cancer. Now, for the majority of people, that's not the case. So, I don't want people to get super scared or freaked out regarding HPV. I just want people to understand that there is a link from HPV to HPV-related cancers. And that's why it's so important to talk to your doctor regarding prevention and screening. What would those HPV-related cancers be? Because, again, I'm thinking female, so cervix, uterus, anything like that? So, yeah, there's a myriad of cancers that, you know, can affect both men and women and you know, it's complicated and I want people to talk to their doctor to find out, you know, which ones they are at most risk for. Is it possible that there are other things that people are predisposed to perhaps? Um, is it environmental? Could it just be hereditary as well and that gets it its start? Some of that, you know, science is working on. You know, why do some people clear the virus so easily and why do some people later on go on to develop an HPV related cancer? And for the most part, you know, we don't know. There are some people that are more at at risk. For instance, we know people that smoke cigarettes are going to be at higher risk from taking the HPV into an HPV-related cancer. But again, that doesn't mean you have to smoke cigarettes to get an HPV-related cancer. Anyone that is infected with HPV can go on to develop an HPV-related cancer. And is the HPV that you're talking about, is that the same thing I've seen a lot of commercials where they are talking about even young people as young as 13 getting a vaccination for that? That is the same HPV that I'm talking about. And the reason is, is because, again, this is a lifetime disease that you can acquire. So just because you're 13 years old and you may not be sexually active yet, you can still become aware about the virus. You can still do certain types of 
screening and prevention. You can talk to your parent if that becomes appropriate for that family. Now, I'm not encouraging every 13-year-old needs to know about HCV, but what I am encouraging is that we as a public and, and general population start talking more about HCV and that people talk to their doctors, parents talk to doctors regarding HCV and HCV awareness. And I know from my own experience that there was no such vaccination when I was growing up and just to hear about it on television. uh, Is that something new? So yes and no. You know, I don't know exactly when they started, you know, talking about this on TV, but I can say even during my lifetime, there's been many advances regarding HPV. And, you know, I found that while many people have heard about HPV, many people don't know that HPV can lead to certain cancers and diseases later in life because we haven't been talking about it and because that information hasn't been out there. What are some of the treatments if someone does get a diagnosis of HPV? So it depends on what type of HPV-related cancer that they have and what treatment is appropriate for them. So, you know, again, there's a myriad of types of HPV-related cancers, and there's different stages. And so all of that would be specialized to the patient and what their doctor would find appropriate for them. That leaves a, that leaves a lot of people, I think, wondering, Dr. Gossi, about, about what to do. Yeah, it does. And so because of that, you know, we can't cover everything in one interview. So I encourage everybody to talk to their doctor about it. Another thing that they can do is go to hpvcancerstories.com. There, there will be more information regarding HPV and HPV-related cancers, and they can also hear some personal stories regarding HPV-related cancer. Once again, thanks to Dr. Perry Godsey, OBGYN, based in Los Angeles, for bringing us the details of HPV human papillomavirus. And a reminder, that website that she mentioned, hpvcancerstories.com. Just like the human papillomavirus, colon cancer is also something that you and I would not necessarily be able to detect that we had on our own. It takes a screening. And Dr. Joyanne Krauser is here. She is a gastroenterologist in Glen Mills, Pennsylvania. She's here to tell us about colonoscopies and how different things have become now that you can even do those at home, no matter what. It's always a good idea to get screened. It is March. It is Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month, and so many people are affected. Are the numbers going down at all? No, no, they're not. And in fact, colorectal cancer remains the third most common uh, cancer uh, diagnosis and cause of cancer death in the United States. And that says something because as you're you're in Pennsylvania and here in Pennsylvania especially here in the northeast there has always been more cases here have you been able to determine why some areas seem to have more than others no that's a great question and a lot of people and researchers have been studying that um, we have discovered recently that there are in fact certain hot spots and some of them do exist in the northeast especially for younger women who puts them at uh, risk for colon cancer even higher than above the average. Some of the things that have been uh, discovered are things like physical inactivity, 
and fertility may be contributing factors to these women living in these locations. They were tended to be in urban areas, and the people of the study didn't have a lot of physical activity in their leisure time, and they also had lower uh, rates of fertility, and that may be two contributing factors in, in addition to socioeconomic data. My mom had it back in the mid-80s, and things were so much different then. You didn't talk about colonoscopies. Now, that's one of the life-saving measures, isn't it? Oh, it is the main life-saving measure. Glad you that you brought that up because it is so important to talk about, and that's why I'm glad we're talking today, and to take away the mystery out of this procedure. Colonoscopy can prevent colon cancer by discovering precancerous lesions called polyps, little growths in the colon, and it's a one-step process to both prevent colon cancer, detect it if it's there. So it's really the best test overall to perform for screening for colon cancer. What would be some of the symptoms that someone might experience? In the later stages, patients might experience change in their bowel habit, change in the stool form, rectal bleeding, abdominal pain, unintentional weight loss are some examples. Sometimes it comes about when a patient goes to a doctor and they get some routine blood work and they're discovered to be anemic and low in iron. And that can be the first clue. Being a family member, I've already had numerous colonoscopies since I was 40. But it seems to be that they wait a longer period of time and so many things can happen in there. That's right. Recently, the the age for screening for colon cancer has been lowered to age 45. So all uh, adults age 45 to 75, we include these as being, who are at average risk, should get screened for colon cancer. And you mentioned when you have a family history such as yourself, that that screening should begin even earlier. We typically recommend about 10 years before the time of the diagnosis of the relative or age 40, whatever comes first. And even even a colonoscopy procedure has come such a long way from the prep time. And let's talk about that. Certainly, certainly. And it is important to, to help patients understand and people understand that it's really not that bad. And hopefully it's one and done. Our idea is to get a great, high-quality colonoscopy every 10 years. So putting it in perspective of like like that, so people could kind of put up a little bit more with some disturbed sleep or going to the bathroom, more drinking some potentially unpleasant uh, medication. But typically, we have patients be on a clear liquid diet the day before, maybe a light breakfast as well. And there's so many choices now in bowel preparation. Many of them are liquid. Some taste better than others. And there are also pills that are available now. The main important thing I stress with patients, no matter what prep you take, is to hydrate yourself very well. When we tell people to have a clear liquid diet, we want them to really hydrate themselves, drink as much broth, jello, those types of things, to really stay hydrated and they'll feel so much better during the prep. One of the things, too, that a lot of people are going toward are the at-home tests. Positives, negatives? I would start off by saying that any modality to screen for colon cancer is better than no modality. And we do have some non-invasive alternatives to colonoscopy. There's two at-home tests that are available currently. One is called a FIT test. That's to test for hidden blood in the stool. That's usually mailed to the patient from their doctor's office, primary doctor's office. And that would be recommended to be done annually for a screening measure rather than the colonoscopy, which is once in every 10 years. There's another uh, test, which is a stool DNA test, and that can also be done at home. That's a newer test that tests for not only hidden blood in the stool, but also some stool DNA changes that may alert to larger polyps or cancer that already exist. And that is recommended 
recommend it to be done every three years for screening. A lot of people say polyp hemorrhoid. Not true? No, that's a common misconception. I believe there is an old-fashioned term for hemorrhoid clot pile. Yes. But polyp is P-O-L-Y-P, and that refers to a small growth inside the colon. And these are precancerous lesions, precancerous little bumps. And they actually come of all different types. There's two main types, we, two or three main types we worry about. The main one we talk about is an adenomatous polyp. That's definitely a precancerous polyp that should be removed. And then that puts a patient on a pathway to help look for more down the line. Another type of polyp is called hyperplastic. That has no potential to turn into cancer. So there are folks who might have a colonoscopy and have a polyp removed. But the doctor might still tell them, you don't need another one for 10 years because of the type of polyp you've had. So there's a third type that we've been recognizing more called a sessile serrated lesion. And that's a polyp that is somewhat similar to hyperplastic, but in fact is a, more, is a precancerous polyp. And so they tend to grow flatter. And we pay particular attention to these type of polyps. So I think it is important for folks to recognize that depending on the type of polyp, the size of polyp, the number of polyps they have, each individual would get a more individualized recommendation. And you're not going to find a polyp on your own? No. No, polyps are small and you, they wouldn't be detected, let's say, on a typical on a CT scan or other type of imaging unless they were much larger. The only way to detect polyp and remove them at the same time is by having a colonoscopy. Dr. Crozer, I'm going to let you tell our listeners in the month of March to Find out about colorectal cancer. Well, it's been a pleasure. If I could mention also one other thing, if folks have any want to get any further information, the American College of Gastroenterology has some great info at gi.org slash colon cancer. Thanks again to Dr. Joyanne Crozer and a reminder that website, gi.org slash colon cancer. When Special Edition returns, we'll hear about safety so that you don't fall, especially winter's not over yet. Winter's not over yet, and March can be very unpredictable. That's why next we're going to hear from Dawn Webster, physician assistant with MedExpress Urgent Care, and she's going to tell us how to stay safe and don't slip and fall. Dawn Webster back with us again. And Dawn, I can see the horizon. Springtime is right around the corner, but we're in the month of March. And that could mean just about anything when it comes to the weather. So what would you say to our listeners who made it this far, but can want to continue to stay safe when they're out traveling in those not so perfect conditions? Sure. So yeah, I agree. I really do think that, you know, hopefully spring is around the corner, but yeah, the most important thing is really being prepared. So um, winter storms, they can, they can still strike in March. I mean, we have to be ready for them. And I think the most important thing to kind of do is just always be prepared. So if you're in your car, if you're driving and um, you know, it starts snowing, sleeting. Sometimes rain is even bad, you know, if it gets cold because then it turns to ice. So it's always best to be prepared. So in your car, you you know, the best thing to do would be to have some blankets, um, maybe a shovel, cat litter, 
you know, things that you could use in case you would get stranded on the side of the road in an emergency. Um, the other thing would be to keep the same type of emergency supplies um, at your house just in case the power would go out or, you know, you would get stuck at home because of the road. Um, the other thing that a lot of people don't think about is having extra medicine. So if you take medicine on a daily basis, it would be really important to make sure you have enough to get you through at least a week. You never want to go under a week supply um, in the wintertime. Those are very good points. And sometimes uh, we've experienced ice already this past, well, that's not over yet. I was going to say this past <laughs> winter season, but no, you're not, you're right. We're not there yet. But th- those things can happen. And I know even a member of our staff went out in his driveway, fell down and ended up with a uh, broken bone up by his shoulder. And he's he's still recovering from that. So what do you say to those instances besides don't go? (laughs) Sure. So the most important thing would probably be to pay attention to what you're wearing. So if you're going to be outside in the cold weather, even if it's not snowing, even if it's just really cold and really windy, you know, you want to make sure you dress in layers. The layers is going to what is going to help keep your body heat in. Um, if it is raining or snowing, you want to make sure your outest layer is uh, waterproof. And then you want to look at your shoes. So you want to make sure, obviously, you know, boots are best. They're going to keep your feet warm. And a lot of times they're the ones with the best traction, the best tread to prevent you from slipping. But in all honesty, I mean, if your driveway is a sheet of ice, it doesn't matter what shoes you have on. You're probably going to, you know, flip if you try to, to walk, you know, any any quicker than you know at a very slow pace so um you know make sure you try to plan routes that have hand route rails if you have to go up or down steps um if you are going somewhere where you need to dress up a little bit or have nice shoes don't wear them wear boots with good you know solid bottoms and good treads and then put on your dress shoes when you get there and then along those same lines you also want to remember that When you are going somewhere inside, even if there is a carpet or a rug, you know, a lot of times there's little puddles of water. So, you know, even once you get inside, you have to worry about slipping and falling. So just really try to be careful. Well, you also, when you're thinking about ice, a lot of people think, well, there it is. It's in my driveway. It's on the road. But you're right. They don't see those small little bits of ice. And I know during this season, I got out of my vehicle and boof, right down, because I didn't think that was a slippery spot when I stepped out. So being aware is probably one of the biggest things, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. And the other thing that a lot of people don't think about is try not to rush. When you're in a hurry and you're rushing, that's, that's when it happens. You know, if you're taking your time, you're going slow, even if you don't know that ice is there, if you're going slow, you have a better chance of not slipping if you're not rushing to get somewhere. So always give yourself, you know, plenty of extra time to get anywhere or go anywhere um, if you have an appointment in the winter. And when it comes to, unfortunately, those falls, I know in Mark's case, he was hoping that when he got up, it just would have been bruised. So how do you know when it's time to go and get it checked out rather than it just being bruised or strained or sprained? So um, that depends. So it depends what part of your body it is. So if you slip and fall on your, you know, on your butt, on your back, 
um, those are a little bit trickier because even though you may not break something, you know, you can be sore for a couple days and it can be, you know, a rough recovery. So those, it's always best to kind of use, you know, more caution, get checked out. Um, you just never know. And those are the types of injuries you really don't want to miss. Now, if you fall and land on your arm, um, your wrist, or even if you kind of fall and, you know, land with your knee down, um, that's one of the things that you can kind of give it a day, you know, see how you're feeling. If it swells, if it's bruised, you can apply ice, you can take over-the-counter medicine to help with the pain and the swelling. But really, if that lasts longer than a day or two, or if the pain is, is truly keeping you up, even with Advil or Tylenol, then, you know, that's a sign that you do need to get it looked at. And you probably see at MedExpress a lot of those kind of injuries that end up going on to an orthopedist. We sure do. Absolutely. When you're talking about such injuries, are there things that you should do? I know you mentioned ice and you mentioned the pain relievers, the Tylenol and things like that. Are there things that you should do if you do fall and you are in pain? I mean, other than going, but, you know, just to kind of keep it at a minimum uh, before you might see somebody. Sure. So um, we always say, uh, right. So rest. So you want to rest it. Um, you want to elevate it. So if it's your ankle, you're going to, you know, sit down on the couch, prop it up on a couple cushions, get it above, you know, kind of above the rest of the, the body. Um, if it's your arm, same thing, you can elevate it. Compression. So that's an ACE wrap. Um, or you can go, if you happen to have one, um, like a knee brace or an ankle brace or a wrist brace. So that helps with the swelling and that gives you some support. Um, so that's really the biggest thing is rest, ice, compression, and elevation. So those are the things you can do at home besides the over-the-counter medicine um, before you seek um, additional um, help. And when we're talking about rice, that's a good thing to remember because a lot of times people will fall and then they'll come back in the house and say, oh, I'll be okay. It's just a, but again, a good friend of mine in her backyard fell down after going out and trying to shovel a spot for the dog and made it as far as the porch and ouch, yes, that ankle was broken. So mm. when when mm. you're looking at different things like that, what kind of recovery time are we looking at? I know in both cases of people that I've known that have fallen, they're even looking to physical therapy. Right. So the biggest difference when it comes to recoveries is age. So the older you are, unfortunately, the, the longer and the harder the recovery is. For example, my son fell off the bed this summer. He broke his elbow. He, I didn't think it was broken because he could move it, but it was just still swollen after a day. So I took him. It sure was broken. We went to the orthopod. They put him in a splint for four weeks, did another x-ray. It was completely healed. He had no issues. So wow. four weeks for a completely broken bone for a seven-year-old. Yes. <laughs> Whereas an adult, it's going to take six to eight weeks of really immobilizing it and keeping it splinted and, you know, not using it. And then after that, you probably have another, you know, month or two of physical therapy to strengthen uh, the muscles around it and, and get it back to working order. So, I mean, it can take two to three months for an adult or, you know, potentially more, you know, if, if it's an elderly person. So that's why prevention 
is the yeah. best. And again, can you go over the RICE acronym for our listeners one more time? Sure. So rest. So you want to rest the, the injury. So if it's your wrist, your ankle, you know, even your back, you, you want to rest it. You don't want to move that area more than you have to. Ice, you want to put ice on it, um, not on direct contact with the skin. You want to keep your shirt or a towel in between the area just because we don't want it to get too cold and damage the skin. Um, the C stands for compression. So that would be like an ACE wrap. And then the E stands for elevate. So that means keeping it above the level of the heart to just kind of help also reduce the swelling. And watch where you're going and don't if you don't have to. Right. How do you give hope to a child in the foster care system? It starts with your heart. That tug you feel on yours when you hear that children are waiting for a stable, loving voice to speak up for their best interests. And then it becomes your time. What started out as a feeling that maybe you could make a difference becomes the difference. Change a child's story. There is a child waiting for a volunteer like you. Learn how you can help at LackawannaCountyCasa.org. Thanks for listening to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personalities shaping the stories, a production of Intercom Communications.